2: Hey everyone, welcome to the 297th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Ryan Godoy. I'm Oren
1: Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Zickel Parikh on the show. He's the uh, founder and a director for Attaboy Studios, which is a animation commercial house. That does all sorts of awesome stuff. They do all sorts of mixed media. I guess I shouldn't limit them just to animation, though. Vickle is... Yeah, they do live um, action, VFX. All sorts of stuff. some all incredible stuff. work. Yeah, really, really cool stuff. And he talks about being an entrepreneur. He talks about having a non-film background and, and how that kind of was a foundation for him. He was an architect and how that was a foundation, pun intended, for uh, his filmmaking career And how they source directors to work with. It's a really cool, really organic conversation. You know, I thought really good if you're curious about kind of that world of animation, motion graphics, visual trickery that has kind of evolved over the last 20 years.
2: Yeah. What else I thought was interesting is how he, you know, he was an employee at a bunch of different companies working on all these commercials. And he decided to leave on his own to start his own company right when we had when he had a baby. Because he felt like having his own company would give him the flexibility he needed to, you know, be able to do his life stuff. And it, it's an interesting industry we work in. Though I guess nowadays, in the pandemic days, everyone is working from from home in every industry. But we do, as much as we hustle and as much as we work crazy long hours for no money, we do still have this kind of flexible industry, especially when we are working for ourselves and when we're freelancers, when we're contractors, when we're vendors, when we start our own companies, we can decide when we're working and when we're not working. And maybe we'll work all weekend, but we'll be able to, you know, take an afternoon off to go,
1: you know, do something with our family. I feel it the most when I'm uh, on vacation because I'll be like, oh, I just took off like I'm in Palm Springs right now on a Wednesday and I'm working some of the time. But I wouldn't be able, you know, if I had an office job, I wouldn't be able to just pick up and go somewhere. So it is, yeah, there is some evolving flexibility for people. Uh, you know, also sometimes you just feel like you can never say no to things. So that's tricky too.
2: Yeah. Well, how's life? You're two and a half weeks into having a child mm-hmm. to no longer being in control of your own time. That is true. How has that affected you,
1: your life and your career? <laughs> yeah. I know yeah, yeah. it's early to ask. Um. No, it, it's actually good timing, though, because I today we're recording on a Tuesday. Uh, yesterday was my first day back to like work work. You know, I've been doing a lot of creative direction lately. And so they, you know, I'm part time right now, basically. And so it's a real learning curve in terms of figuring out what my bandwidth is and what my baby is going to decide my bandwidth is. But today was especially good. I think. Um, And so we're just trying to learn how to, you know, change a diaper one handed while you're uh, noting a video uh, on your phone, you know,
2: on a Zoom call. Yeah. I mean, the amount of muting I've had to do the past two years on a conference on conference calls and like turning off the camera because insane stuff is happening at my house is uh, is is crazy. I'm curious, what's the what's the biggest thing or what's one thing you learned about babies that you didn't know Three
1: weeks ago. So so he, th- there's two related facts. One, when people say like, oh, my baby is sleeping through the night, they mean that there is some regularity to when your baby goes to sleep. Right. Like not that you're getting eight hours of sleep, which I never really thought was the case. Like babies basically need to be fed every two to three hours, period. You know what I mean? Like if a baby slept for eight hours, it would be bad for them. Yeah, in like a, in like a couple months, they can sleep. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. That that's a different deal, different deal. Yeah, but currently that's not the case. um But, but the, that actually, was shocking to you. Like that's not something you realized that's not, before you that, had the baby. No, no. But the thing that is shocking to me is that the clock starts on that two to three hour window when you start the feed, not when you finish. And that right, and the feed, is a bummer. Feeding the babies takes like half an hour. Some, but my baby likes to take her sweet time. And so it can be a half hour. It could be an hour. You know, like they're, uh, especially early on, they talk about she's not actively drinking this whole time, but she's self-soothing. And also, that's a way for a baby to help more milk come in, basically. Like all yeah. of that is like uh, designed to milk. like... like Milk coming in is really complicated and strange. But so as a result, my kid could be like, hey, I'm going to sort of half doze, but keep my wife and I are both up for the feedings. I'm like helping her out, giving her water, all of this stuff. But so the the three hours that we have to sleep is getting eaten into. The longer this kid is taking her sweet time, dozing off. Oh, maybe she's done. Nope, she's still at it. Um, And that was a surprise to me. That was a surprise, but honestly, I shouldn't. I shouldn't complain at all because I think that actually we've been very lucky. The baby is um, is pretty darn pretty darn good, and I think that there are uh, plenty of challenges that lay ahead. But um, but I think generally speaking, she's on the easier side. So yeah, that's great. At some point, you'll realize that you should not
2: be awake while the baby's feeding because if you get your sleep while the baby's sleeping, then maybe you can wake up and like clean the house and do the other things you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have been
1: doing in order to stay awake I've been cleaning basically <laughs> I get them set up I will go clean like that's dishes time that's laundry time all that stuff and then I'll kind of like come back to like help put her to bed um, cool. but this and is also been... all before you can give her a bottle either which is part of it so yeah have you been peed on yet I've been shit on bro <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty cool
2: Speaking of dropping stuff on Matt and Orin, uh, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot It pod. It's a place where you can drop some nuggets yeah. of coin. Patreon.com slash Dad Talk. We, we accept Bitcoin and Ethereum now as well. But yeah, $1 a month, $4. $10 gets you a Just Shoot It podcast hat. It's all the rage. All the rage. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm in Branson, Missouri today, and I went to the NRA Gun Museum. <laughs> oh, my um, God. They literally have like all these famous guns they have the sniper rifle from American Ugh. sniper they have a, a gun from uh lone survivor so it made me feel as a hollywood person more accepted in a in this gun culture but uh it's uh it's it's different than the los angeles culture not, for sure not,
1: not my favorite that is for sure that's but
2: uh i will say how did i get to guns <laughs> Uh, um, oh, just oh shoot i it. will say that the yeah. just shoot it hat that i wore there made me the most popular guy in the gun museum <laughs> oh it, it makes me think about change, changing the
1: name of the show actually
2: there's literally people in there with shirts that said i will not comply and like you know a lot of let's go brandon anyhow all good you can like or not like whatever you want but what you should like is the just shoot it hat ten dollars a month at patreon even just one month it's a great deal patreon.com slash just shoot a pod check you've it out you've only got you a, a month it. left
1: before we change our prices everyone
2: oh yeah yeah cyber monday <laughs>
1: cyber <laughs> cyber december cyber december
2: <laughs> it's, it's your last option your last chance um cool well without further ado here's potentially an ad and definitely vickle parikh Hey, we're here with Vikal Parikh. Thanks for joining us from New York City. Attaboy, Vikal. Midnight. Hey, guys.
4: Yeah, it's midnight. Uh, How's it going, guys? Um, I'm psyched uh, to be talking to you.
2: Well, we're glad you can be here. So tell us a little bit about what you do and your company, just to to give a lay of the land.
4: Yeah, uh, uh, I am uh, the executive creative director slash director at Attaboy. founder. I started Attaboy, you know, nine years ago, nine and a half years ago. And it stemmed from the fact that I was, you know, too entrenched in a post-production facility for like five, six years and, you know, didn't really get an opportunity to explore the storytelling aspect of, you know, the short form commercials, like the 30 seconds, where we were just asked to like work on uh visual effects or you know design or animation so it was just like you know very piecemeal very like very broken down and you never got the full picture and i always had an inkling that you know if we were to do this from the beginning this is how we would do it so you know that was kind of like the foundation of where i wanted to take my career and uh we started doing that a little bit at red card that's where i you know i started and we started doing that. We, you know, sort of created an offshoot uh, called Redhead, where we were doing motion design and animation. But again, I think it was sort of the heyday of, you know, motion graphics. So people were paying lots of money to just make an end tag and like things fly around in 3D and shiny, and you know, was kind of like the hot thing. So I don't think anyone uh, at the company was too invested in, you know, sort of helping us explore this. Um, you know, storytelling aspect of it at that point. So,
2: and was that I, like After Effects Cinema 4D type stuff? It
4: it was uh, more Maya After Effects, yeah, more like Maya After Effects. And then we would. I shoot think just stuff. just
2: to interject for a second, I think something interesting about it is I think there are probably a lot of people that like love Marvel films, love movies, and they 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 want to get into visual effects because they want to be tell stories with visual effects, and then they get into the industry and they realize they're working on like one second of a movie, one part of one second, and they don't even get to see the movie. Yeah, yeah,
4: totally, totally.
2: (laughs) Like, they they
4: obsess over smoke. Like, you have, you know, like, smoke specialists, like people that just create rains that create just, you know, the fur on a character, like, have nothing to do with the character. And I think, you know, that's a very specialized field. So, for someone like me that kind of wants to sort of be involved in everything, it seemed uh, a little out of place for me personally.
1: I think so, something else that stood out to me is that you were saying the heyday of motion graphics, right? And I, I guess I hadn't even really realized until you said it, that, like, oh, there there was that moment when, like, just, like, cool design was, like, a really, like, exciting thing, you know? Like, we're talking about, like, 05 to probably 2015, maybe, give or take. It was like, oh, that that is, like, like a whole commercial would just be, like, cool graphics basically and that it, it has kind of gone away basically but like to your point of like oh like I, you know you grow up thinking i want to make movies and then all of a sudden you're just like making sure that the hair on this gorilla looks awesome similarly you can be like oh i'm a designer and all of a sudden you're just like making cool swirls for you know, an Apple commercial. And that's like the top of the industry. That would be like the, the brass ring basically. Right. So it's interesting to me that you had the self-awareness and the motivation to be like, Oh, this isn't, I've built out these skills, but this isn't what I want to do.
4: Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of it's, uh, so I'm not a very like a classical artist or filmmaker, uh, per se. My, background is bachelor in architecture so i grew you know i uh graduated being an architect so you I started in, in
1: cad the, basically and then you were i did i did do
4: this. i did do cad yeah this was like in 1999 so cad was you know very basic uh so i got interested in you know 3d visualization so it was more about like the holistic process so everything that i became interested in came very organically so i started doing the like cad and you know 3d started being interesting and then i started working on that and then i'm like well what if we you know did animation with this So it's just not like camera moves like you know things that are moving and animating and adding a layer of graphic design and they started calling that like motion design motion graphics at that point and then uh once we started doing that, we learned to tell stories using just typography and animation, and you know, and then over time we started adding a layer of live action to it. You know, like what if a person would interact with graphics or a person would interact with animation? Uh, graduated to involving character, and so it's it's a growth, it's journey, and you know, I get bored really fast, so I hate doing the same thing again, and that's why uh you know a lot of my work also is sort of all over the place like you know people are like oh i you know i'm a comedy director i'm a you know visual effects director i'll probably do like a few of each and then like if the same thing keeps coming then we pass on it and i think that's sort of our studio mentality as well like we'll never like if a client comes to us with like hey i saw you guys did that i want just that but you know for our brand then that's not the right project for us. You know, it's really...
2: What if they're like, we have a million dollars? They uh, still say that's not the right project for us? uh,
4: Maybe. Uh, If they have a million (laughs) dollars, I might do it. Uh, But mostly when people say that, they don't have that much money. (laughs) You did it last time. Uh, But uh, so, you know, when a brief comes in like that, then we usually, you know, ask them if they're open to other ideas. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they are, uh, you know, sometimes they're not, they're like, no, this is perfect, you know, for our brand. And if they, you know, have a justification for it, like why it's perfect, then, you know, we might consider it. but otherwise like, just you don't want to be known as a studio that does the same thing over and over. And, uh, you know, we are sort of a small tight knit group. So, you know, we have a shorthand and we like to explore, we like to do different things and everyone at the studio comes from, you know, different walks of life, like someone's a photographer that got into animation. There's a director, you know, that they were like editors, became directors. And it's, it's just a very eclectic mix. So for us, just coming together to sort of achieve this a fun little exercise of creating commercials is an exploration in itself. So we really enjoy what we do. You know, we are, and I'm sure most filmmakers really like the process of exploration more than actual execution. Because that's really what it is, you know, like exploring whether it's a technique style, color palette, you know, acting, whatever it is. Like, I think you want to play. And I think that's that's really what we enjoy the most. So we keep jumping from one thing to the other.
2: So at some point you were, so you, you wanted to do more storytelling. So you, instead of getting a job as like a director somewhere, you started your own place?
4: Yeah. Pretty much. I, you know, uh, I also wanted some flexibility in my life. And I think at that point, like I was at a a point where you guys are like I had a newborn and I needed that flexibility. My first, you know, baby. And uh, I was like, maybe, you know, I worked really hard for those five, six years to build what I was. And then I was like, maybe either, either A, I take it easy. And two, I always had this entrepreneurial itch that, you know, what if I did it the way I wanted to do? And, you know, my wife was on board and she was like, yeah, now is the time to do it, you know? And so I did it. And, you know, just like really good teammates and really good, you know, partners in crime, I think helped us shape us the way we are, you know, even if they're not with the company anymore, I think every single person has contributed to the way Attaboy has evolved into what we are right now and I think uh, that's really really important like we take a long time to get in bed with someone like you know whether it's like hiring someone or you know hiring a director I think you know we'll we'll sort of take it easy and you know unless it's like fully vetted we're not going to get into a relationship but you know once we do we know it's the right thing for us both and I think that's really helped us
1: along the way I, I want to uh, go back a little bit and, and talk about those early first steps of forming Attaboy? Because I think that that could be something that's really interesting, right? So you've got this body of work, you know, you've got the support of your family, you're motivated, right? And you have maybe a few people in mind that you like to work with. What's, how do you book that first job? What, what are those first tangible steps that you took to, to found the company?
4: Yeah. I think at that point, it was a different point in time where being a freelancer was sort of just work for hire. And I don't think like bigger agencies or brands were open to just working with freelancers. So they, you know, if the biggest obstacle I had was, you know, starting a new company was not to be perceived as I'm going freelance. Like I, you know, had to establish the fact that You know, I'm venturing and starting another thing and we are going to do similar thing, but, you know, slightly different and slightly bigger and, uh, you know, more meaningful and, you know, really like making a little bit of impact. So, you know, there were so many people I was like, oh, my God, like I worked with these people for four or five years. If I start my own company, they'll come work with me. Never happens. Like they all like tread lightly. You mean they were wa-
1: client-wise? Clients, mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. They're like friends, but clients, but you know, you'll never get directly work from them because, you know, you are coming from a bigger place and, uh, you know, they're not sure where you are, support systems. So they're all treading lightly. So yeah, that never worked out. So I was like, okay, what's the plan B? Like, what do I do to keep doing what I do and what I love doing? So I started approaching a lot of nonprofits, you know, and just uh, at that point, like I, I'd i see the content they put out and it was so poor. And, you know, I'm like, these guys deserve better. These guys, you know, they have a very important message that they want to send across to people. I think, you know, they need better support. So I reached out to, you know, UNDP, uh, like some people we knew at UNDP, like I reached out to them, you know, sorry, reached out- what's
1: what's UNDP?
4: Uh, United Nations Development Program, Developmental Program, then uh, reached out to CARE.
1: And and these are places that you had previous contacts with? You knew no, a few people over there? No. no just, 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 so you cold yeah. called them. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of uh, I cold
4: them. called a few. And then, like, when people saw the work, you know, on Vimeo or whatever, I think nonprofits reached out to us. And at that point, like, we wouldn't see profitability. You we were like, yep, I'll just do this. Uh, the only condition is it has to be done our way. Like, you know, we want to tell a story as long as the story aligns with what you want. Like you guys will not like nitpick a lot about like what a character looks like or what style it is. Like, you know, I think that's something that we want to bring to the table. You know, we'll make sure the story aligns with what you guys you know want to tell.
2: Why reach out to a nonprofit instead of making like a spec, you know, a serial commercial or something?
4: You know, because one, nonprofit it helps them. Like they're going to use a piece of content that we do that will serve a purpose. So, you know, all the pixels are not going to just dog and pony show. Like they'll actually get mileage out of it. And then two, you know, it's for better Can you cause. Tell us what a,
2: sorry, what a dog and pony show is real quick for people that don't know. Is <laughs> uh,
4: a, like a specific and pony thing show. in
2: co- the commercial world? Yeah, right. in
4: the commercial world, dog and pony show is basically you uh peddling your wares like you know whether it's a spec spot or like four or five of your best commercials like when you in an old new york thing like where you have this long overcoat and you open it up and you're like (laughs) Like hey what do you want yeah do you want this do you want this what do you want i got everything so i think it, it is a little bit of that in the advertising world like people want to see what you've created and what you're capable of before they actually start working with you and uh If they have anything specific in mind, they want to see that on their reel, you know, before they engage with you. So I think uh, that's really the dog and pony show. We do that all the time. Go to agencies, you know, uh, put out all our director's best work, you know, see if it aligns. uh, Just give them a taste of what Attaboy is about, you know, just follow up afterwards. So that's the dog and pony show. But uh, so we developed a portfolio, we developed, uh, you know, certain animation style that we couldn't have done otherwise. And we got to learn, we got to play around. And like I said, like I didn't come from a, you know, a solid like filmmaking storytelling background. So it's not like I did this. I did go to art school. And, you know, I had experience with stuff in post-production and, you know, telling these like micro size stories, but uh, not really like a two-minute video where it starts to end like with a story curve. So we got to experiment. We got to learn, you know, any mistakes that we made, like with the nonprofit, they didn't seem, you know, that crazy. Like, it's know, like they a little lower
1: have... stakes. They're like, oh, so there's yeah, more ovarian
2: course. cancer this year because uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, Yeah, a lot of times
4: like we so like this one thing we did for uh sex trafficking and we decided to you know just paint every frame in photoshop
2: like uh rotoscoping so it wasn't
4: rotoscoping it was before like procreate and stuff came out so we wanted to use specific brushes to you know create these illustrations and add the texture and stuff like that. You could do it with cell animation, but then you'd have to run it through Photoshop to add those textures and be very selective about like where you, you know, mess it up and uh, the way you, uh, you know, have like splatter or like how things sort of distort. I mean, at that point, Photoshop wasn't really ready for that. They had just introduced layers and uh, a timeline. A layer timeline, and you were just able to like paint it like frame by frame. And after a while, that shit got so heavy; like <laughs> we'd have like Photoshop crash, like and burn. But right. uh, and like five gig
2: know, PSD files. Yeah,
4: huge. Oh my god, more like 25, 30 gig PSDs. Like they're huge. But that was a labor of love. It took way longer than we anticipated because you know obviously we had a lot of technological
2: backfires. Can I ask just log- logistically, you? You're doing this job for free I'm. I'm assuming you need multiple artists to do this, right? Because it's kind of like you said, labor intensive. How are you, are you paying them or is everyone just like, hey, can you give me 800 hours for free?
4: No, every single one got paid uh, and their commercial day rate. We invested in these jobs. So, you know, we had like some commercial work that would come in that wasn't as interesting. And then we invested in these projects and, you know, we made sure that, these projects got a lot. So a lot of artists actually did donate, uh, you know, their time into this. So, you know, they would charge for like three days and work for five, you know, or they'd be like, Hey, I'll take a week down. Then we'd find someone else, you know, for that week. And then would, you know, they would come back on. So they did donate some of the time, but, nobody worked for free i don't like making people work for free so we just you know worked it out with them there was sort of a specific arrangement if a if a job was paying like we did actually tell them to hold off that billing you know for that week because we were booking them two weeks down the line and so we said just up the rate to make up for you know this one week right, that we worked right, for.
2: so
1: so everyone's made whole more or less but but i think maybe to oren's point you know, you've got these passion projects that the studio is doing, but you're still keeping the lights on with, with other work. Where, where did that other work come from? How, how did Were those pre-existing relationships or, or how did, um, how did the meat and potatoes work get booked?
4: Uh, so a lot of it actually came from, uh, you know, some existing relationships uh, in the post-production world. So there were a lot of, uh, there was an edit house at Cosmo street and my wife, work there. And uh, they didn't have any animation resource. So, you know, they uh, would sort of rely on us for animation. So it was a lot of meat and potato work, uh, you know, to get done there. And they were very, very graceful in sort of helping me out as well, because I was starting. And yeah, it, it was, you know, a very sort of symbiotic relationship where they had the ability to get things done. The way they wanted to do and we just got a steady stream of work so that, that was the first two years that's really what kind of paid the bills and we used that to bolster our portfolio and you know like because starting a company it, it's not like there's no shop front there's no like you know window so you don't really have to uh, it was a small space and this was the investment i did You know, like these projects to build up a portfolio for the studio was the investment I was willing to make. So, yeah, I didn't get paid for the first nine months, Uh, but (laughs) it's like the money goes back into the company, you know, but that's really the joy and that's the, you know, entrepreneurial uh, spirit that you should go into when you're trying to start something up.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. What's interesting and noteworthy about that, though, is that I think there is a slight difference between asking someone to donate a little bit of time or cut their rate or something on say on a one-off project a short film or even an indie film or something like that versus you're building a company and there is a steady stream of paid work coming in right so it's not like hey donate some time to me and then Maybe I'll see you at the premiere. It's like, hey, you know, this week, help me out on this passion project. I think it's going to be really cool. It'll be on your reel as well. But don't worry, next week, you've got something that we're both maybe a little less excited about, but you're going to make rent. You know what I mean? And I I think that that is a, a really great position to be in in terms of like investing in those passion projects for people.
4: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Like just helping them out. And I have to like give it to New York and the community Of artists that we have here. Everyone's like super collaborative. Like, there's never been like one person like we've reached out to uh, has shown like a middle finger. We're like, yeah, F off. Like, I don't want to do this. You know, everyone's been like super kind. You know, some people say, hey, you know what? I can't really invest a lot of time into this because I'm super, super busy. But if you want, if you have someone junior that does it and then you want me to just, Sort of add a layer of you know finesse over it i'll be happy to do it like on a saturday or a sunday so i can't do five days but i can you know put in like a few hours over the weekend to get it to a level where you know you guys can take this further so everybody we reached out to like was very very helpful and you know we collaborated with a lot of kids from school like we uh, from SBA and fashion institute pratt like you know they would like come up and they would help us with animatics and you know creating uh, just roughs and just to be a part of the process so they got something out of it and uh, you know we We're able to sort of tide over certain pre-visualization process that, you know, doesn't need like such expert craftsmanship. It's more about like take these storyboards and create sort of 3D models and then let's play with the camera to see, you know, how you would go from point A to point B and how this whole story lines up.
2: So I'm curious a little bit. So now you have a bunch of directors on your roster. I was just kind of clicking through them. How do you find, like, what, how does a director get onto your roster? Like, what do you look for in a director? Let's say someone is new in the business and is trying to get repped by a production company. What,
4: you know, with every director that we have on the roster, we've had a soft run with them. And, you know, there's a little bit of a history uh, with uh, whether me personally or the company or someone at the company has a little history and we sort of, you know, see what our goals are and if there's, any sort of way we can help each other to achieve what we want to do then you know we want to work with them we do keep it rather small so it's not like 20 directors on the roster you know it's uh it's a very tight knit uh, group of people so we it's like people we know we can all work together a lot of times the kind of projects we do there are more than two people are involved so like you'd have one director you know, doing like food and the other person's doing the animation on it or like lifestyle and food or, you know, stop motion or mixed media kind of stuff. And then live action, lifestyle stuff. So you have like multi-layered approach and each director has to work well with the other. And so there's no sort of uh, power struggle, so to speak. And that's why you know, we still sort of go with the company. We don't call it Attaboy production. We are like Attaboy Studios. You know, we kind of work with that sort of studio mentality where everyone's coming together as a whole and working together as a team to achieve this sort of piece of cinematic excellence, as we call it. But yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like it's two of you can, you know, talk about stuff and come to a common agreement. And I don't think there are many people that you can do that with. And I think it's just finding the right group of people that can work well with each other where egos don't clash uh, and it's more collaborative and, you know, it's more uh, fun.
2: Yeah. I I love all that stuff. I mean, I guess from like a director's standpoint, I am curious if there's any element of, Hey, we need someone that has worked with kids or we need someone that's good at comedy or Like we have a hole to fill, you know, like someone that's great at shooting cars and like, hey, this person has really great cars on their reel so we can use their reel to land this job. You know, we know that we'll get the animation on top of it. We just need someone they can prove that they can shoot cars is like a lot of
4: Yeah. A lot of directors, like we start off as like a soft relationship, like freelance directors. So a lot of them will start off saying, okay, we have a need. And even every now and then, like we'll find a particular piece of work that needs to be done or a board that comes our way. And you're like, Oh man, I know this guy. He's got like kids. Like you just mentioned a like, kid. He's got kids on his reels, work with kids. So we approach him like, Hey, you know, we have this job work with us. And they're like, great. Okay. We can work with you on this job. And they would direct and, you know, we would do the other stuff we'd produce it. And whether it's a loan out or the director is freelance or with another production company, I mean, you know, we'll like figure out arrangements at the end of the day, everyone wants to make money and uh, everyone wants to support their talent. So yeah. So we've done relationships like that. And a lot of those relationships have actually blossomed, you know into them being like yeah let's just keep working together you know like i like working with you guys you know like a first director signing like cordon or cordy as they call him i've known him for like over a decade and a half like i've known him since he was like right out of nyu film school you know like he's very motivated uh very gung-ho and, so when and I,
1: you met him through him like like Through a common friend, at Uh at
4: Red Card, through a common friend, he he was doing this pilot for some TV show and they needed graphics. So I was there and they were like, hey, will you do graphics? That was our first foray into it. And then we needed to shoot something and we were like, oh man, who are we going to use to shoot this? And then he came to mind and he did it for us. And when I started Attaboy, you know, there were like multiple jobs we were pitching. And we were like, hey, do you want to do the live action portion of it? You know, you have a reel. That's great. So we put him up as a director. And, you know, over the course of two or three years, like we pitched so many jobs and worked on so many jobs together. You know, he was like, "Me." both of us were like, hey, you know what? I think it just makes more sense to like, you know, for you to like come work with us. Uh, Full time as a director, I think we'll gain more, you know, out of it. And I think it's been a very great relationship. Like we are able to talk to each other, like directors, you know, like like Andrew. He he's great with like people and food and, you know, things like that. But, you know, he's always, like, intrigued about, like, the VFX part of it. If there's any complicated, like, VFX wizardry with the shoot, before he goes into it, you know, we'll have, like, a 30-minute conversation. You know, be like, how would you do this? Here's my thought, you know, and then we would talk it through. And, you know, it helps him. You know, it helps everyone. It helps me when I'm directing stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of times like you're directing, like I don't do comedy, but a lot of times there'll be like this sort of, uh, what you call like a wink and a smile kind of, uh, you know, comedic performance. Like it's not really like comedy, but there's like a you know, And, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I'd reach out to like a director, uh, like Cordy and be like, Hey, you know, I want to try to get this performance out of talent. Like, you know, what is it that I need to do or how do I approach that? And like, we just talk about it and it's, it's just kind of like a fun exploration and everyone gets to, you know, read and see each other's treatments. And, uh, I gotta tell you, like doing treatments is my favorite part. Like I know a lot of directors like hate it. Like I love doing treatment and I just, because that's like the most raw thought process you put together for a project. And, uh, I love it before it gets destroyed. So, you know, we, <laughs> share, <laughs> we share each other's treatments, you know, look at it, be like, take a quick look at it. You know, this is due Monday. Here's where I am Friday evening and, you know, we'll go through it. And, uh, play with it a little bit, you know, give suggestions uh, if need be. And uh, so that, that's really, so to get back to your point, like it's someone that you can go out and have a drink with and chat, you know, that's the kind of directors we want to work with because, you know, that really leads to a more collaborative approach. And I think like a, at Attaboy, there's really no place for like a singular talent. Like, you know, I think it's definitely uh-huh. about it's, more it's, about
1: collaboration. It's really collaboration.
2: I love, I, it's, I love that. it's funny. Yeah. When we talked to Sam from First Ave Machine, that that was their same attitude, you know, which is like we got... This is a collaboration. And I think it's because it's kind of this mixed media, you know, approach that you guys take. Like there's going to be a like real action.
1: That, yeah. Someone that's yeah. going to do animation and understand VFX. All of those different disciplines in order to do something cutting edge. You know, you really have to be quite involved and immersed in that and it's really hard to be to wear that many different an expert in in five different fields and when you're meshing all of them together to make something truly special and unique you need experts on each different aspect of it it's great yeah
4: and for us being a smaller company helps us you know compete at a larger scale too because we have like experts in sort of each field and we're able to pull on them and you know bring them on as need be without actually having to rely on external sources forces talent and so we are you know we feel comfortable doing like a variety of things and we feel confident sort of going head first into something we've never done before so i think like that was uh, that that is our biggest we could have all been engineers or doctors and made a lot of money but we didn't do that you know we did this for a reason and our lawyer Yeah, architects don't
2: make money. You know who is an architect? You know Joe Kaczynski, who directed Oblivion and Tron. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. There are actually a bunch of directors uh, who are architects, and to me, architecture is a great foundational like art. You know, like composition, design, light, light,
2: collaboration, scale, collaboration,
4: scale. So I, I definitely my biggest inspiration in Uh, Any sort of visual aesthetic like comes from, you know, architects, like, you know, in terms of light play, organic shapes, uh, you know, how, you know, you feel in a space like a scale. I think that's very important. And I think in filmmaking, it translates to lensing and, you know, things like that. But like eventually the emotion it evokes. Uh, it's sort of the same. Like you walk into a cathedral or you walk into a cave. I think, you know, there's an emotion that goes with it and you just have to recreate that for the audience. And, you know, once you know how to experience it, you can, you know, probably recreate
2: it. That's interesting. That's like what I find, at least personally, from my in my career and my work, the hardest thing and the thing that on every job I wish I I could do better is is show scale and scope and make you know, make this like the script says, Oh, they walk into like the most posh, luxurious room that you've ever seen. And, you know, you go rent a mansion somewhere on pure space or something and you walk in and they're like, yeah, doesn't seem as posh and luxurious as I wanted yeah. to, but
1: yeah, yeah. The difference between just a room with nice furniture and what we're all dreaming of in our heads, there is like a, a degree of finesse. That's uh, hard to put your finger on. Yeah. But having that architecture background, yes,
2: yeah, is like an interesting way into like, you know, you, you know how big a door is supposed to look. And when you put a person next to it, like if it's two feet taller, it or all of a sudden changes things. That's cool. The other kind of interesting thing you said that is actually kind of interesting, I think for our listeners is this idea that like when you're making something, even if it's a short film and you're working, you're getting the mill to do the VFX or something because you got some hookup or ILM to do or you find a you know a small post house or VFX house to do some work on it, like it's always good to like, like you never know where in that relationship of you hiring them will flip around, like you said about Corydon, Dunn, where they have a project that you're right for. You know? If you just directed some sci fi short and you work with a VFX post house that is amazing at at visual effects, but they don't have the live action reel, you know, they they might want to see if they can pitch you to work on there. And so like, I I think it's interesting when you hire people to work on your stuff, like even if they are just doing animation or just doing graphics or just like renting you the stage, like it's always good to approach that relationship with the idea that you guys can hire each other. It's not just a one way street. It's not like a director just hires, you know, crew people to work on their, on their shoots. But uh, anyone with a company might be a potential employee.
4: Yeah, this point. whole like idea of like in filmmaking as a process or even like it's, you know, like art form, like this whole like bender client relationship is very ambiguous. And like you just said, like it can flip at any point in time uh, and you just have to sort of, you know, keep that one door open. And two, you know, just, yeah, I think the biggest measure of success, and I think it's a very Indian thing to do, like just growing up, uh, like if you get paid 100 rupees or a hundred dollars, you know, to do something, you do it worth a thousand dollars, you know? And I think that that's when like people will start appreciating you. Uh, It's like one bang for buck and also like your dedication to the task, I think just shows like how sincere you are and, you know, how uh, you approach a project. And I think that's definitely very important to like foundation of whether it's a relationship with another, you know, person so if you were, you know, director going to the mill with, for VFX, then giving them the right tool, like very detail oriented, you know, like this is what I want, like this lens flare to look like, or, you know, this explosion needs to look like this. Here's a gif to explain like what it could look like, you know, color palette. Like as detailed you are, I think the artist will respect that because at the end of the day, it takes guesswork out of it. And, you know, they know where to start and what they can add to it. So it's always good working, you know, knowing a little bit about stuff. And if you don't know, you know, just ask and just be a nice human being, you know, just be like, hey, I have no idea how this works, but, you know, this is my wish list. Uh, Let's work on it together and get there.
2: Well, so speaking of like guesswork and all that stuff, I'm curious your approach when you're directing, like you have on your website, a progressive commercial you did that, looks like stop motion. I don't know if it really is stop motion or if it's CG, but how, can you tell us a little bit about like that project specifically, Progressive Insurance? And so it's these tiny little people kind of building like a, and one of them, they build like a big cake, multi-layered cake. Yeah. What does Progressive come to you with? And then what is your process to like make the treatment and win that job and then actually execute it?
4: So I think with, with that job in particular, they wanted to create so it's for small business, right? And the goal of the commercial was that for small business, everything's a big task. So even for a bakery, you know, just like making cakes and selling, like is a big thing because they have to worry about so much logistics and things can fail. So the idea was that the thing they're making is oversized and it's just feels huge. And they're using this sort of heavy equipment to like make these like really delicate, intricate designs on a cake, you know, for the bakery. So the bakery was one and the other one was landscaping, you know, for that uh, initially they wanted to do stop motion. And I think stop motion just takes too much time. They didn't have the money to do it. And we didn't have the time to actually, you know, do stop motion. So
2: did they come to you with like any images or visuals or anything? uh, They
4: came with certain examples of what it would look like but uh, you know a lot of it actually came out of what we presented back to them
1: uh, so yeah, they gave us like a board that's what i was going to ask actually because looking at those spots they're so tactile they're so um they feel like stop motion right yeah um which i assume is probably you know you said that you know that it's cg but like they had wanted stop motion so i assume in the pitch you were like don't worry i've got a solution for how to make this feel stop motion and to give it a sense of scale and for everything to be miniature and to, to kind of play into all of the points that you were just making but how do you illustrate that how like you know it can't just be a promise i assume yeah you know
4: so for that we found a lot of references and you know there are a lot of artists that you know work with these sort of uh, small characters and you know, do this what you may
1: call, yeah, like tilt shift sort of, like sort of miniature. Yeah, it, it, no, they
4: things. basically they take a real like flower, right, and then they'll have like two miniature guys that carry it, and it's usually done for stills. And I think like progressive also sort of used something like that as a still, you know, and they shot like a still campaign for that, but there was no like motion, so we just took it like you know a few steps further they came to us with an example of what they thought looked good. And then so we came up with like, all right, here's a script and here's how we'll do. So for the pitch, what we initially did was some character design of what the characters could look like. They were definitely inspired. You know, one of our in-house artists, Ridvan, he actually uh, designed those characters to, you know, make them feel a little more like, You know, doughy and you know, inspired by those toy soldiers. You know, the plastic uh, retro Mm -hmm. toy soldiers. So,
1: or even like the Playmobil. The
4: Playmobil. Yeah, exactly. So like really basic. So the the character design, and then I thought like the best approach to get like a really good looking cake is to actually shoot a cake. Oh, interesting. So, So what we did was we created four. There's a. Behind the scenes for this entire project on the site, too. But we created like four, the cake in four different stages. So we did the base layer, you know, then we did two layers, then we did the full cake with some decorations, and then two cake, uh, and then all the layers with like some more decorations. And then we sort of did like a, you know, a spiral camera move. And I think that was the biggest idea, like this corkscrew move that you started the base you know, and that's where you start all the work. So you start with the base and you go around the cake. And by the time you come up top, like the cake is fully made. So we had to, so stop motion sort of helped us, you know, make time feel ambiguous. Like, you know, of course, like if you're building this and intricate, like you have to show real time. So with this sort of stop frame animation, it felt natural that we could cut, time, you know, some of it was like sped up, like you'll see, like some things are just like moving fast. Some things are moving slow. So I think it's just like that corkscrew movement is something that we were able to sell through to the agency. And then uh, we had to figure out how to do it. Uh, And then we worked with the, you know, uh, the prop uh, team that was actually very uh, great. They make wonderful styrofoam cake with fondant on top of it, made it like super ornate. And we just got to, you know, shoot. It. We just had to shoot it fast because Fondon melts, uh, you know, under lights. So you set And was
1: like, it was it like some sort of mocap rig, or is it just kind of like catching no, things? Yeah, yeah. Like a so it was
4: belt. it was basically, you know, for the corkscrew, you the cake was on a turntable, and we just went up and down with a camera you just so it did sort it as of,
1: consistently as you could and
4: yeah and i think the, it all yeah. and it sort of matched up because there were edit points you know going up so we did a pretty detailed animatic for that just using like a cg you know uh, layered cake and just to see where the characters would be and just the timing of each shot so we were able to sort of guesstimate like all right this move has to be like 10 seconds of, you know, top to down. So you break it down into like three second moves, you know, from one layer to the other, to the other. That that was our sort of guide. And since no characters were, you know, moving, we were able to speed or slow down the shot because there was no frame of reference.
1: Right, 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 right. I guess that's true. You get, you get a little bit of latitude there. That's awesome.
2: Well, cool. And I, I know we should wrap this up soon. I guess just to kind of finish off, do you have any... Advice to new people that are trying to get that want to work on commercials and do you know kind of in the CG mixed media field, like how to get into it? Is it kind of like I mean, make you, your own stuff, you put it on Instagram email
1: Vicko at, uh, at Attaboy and uh, yes, go work please. for free for a couple weeks?
4: <laughs> no, don't even work for free, just come. I love to talk to you know, be, I love talking, I love talk to talk to people. So, you know, if you guys want to feel free to publish my email address and have people reach out if they need help, questions, answers. But I just say like, you know, you get better with doing more. So just don't worry about failing. Just do, just keep doing it. You know, like I, yeah, just render it, just keyframe it, you know, just keep doing it and try different stuff. Be open to, you know, experimenting like your first piece of art is not going to be the best so you know you have to get through that hump and uh, you know now thankfully if you are interested in like cg and vfx and stuff there's so many tutorials on youtube you don't even need to go to college anymore for that like you just like go to like youtube university and learn everything you need to
1: i i have a question actually when you're hiring artists do you care about where they went to school or are you just looking at their portfolio uh definitely like if, portfolio if, if, if somebody somebody came in and SCAD, was scad like, i just i'm self-taught i went to youtube university here's my portfolio I mean, that's all that matters yeah yeah but that's not to underestimate
2: yeah like you went to scad right not like the art fundamentals that you learn that sometimes are missing from some like youtube university yeah <laughs> portfolio.
4: that's really the, you know the storytelling and so fil- the just that sort of filmmaking the basics that if you want to show something someone scarier you look up and like you want to like make someone feel smaller you look down like just like those basics like are so basic for like filmmaking and just telling a good story within a certain amount of time like those kind of things are missing when you don't really get a formal education in like filmmaking or you know, basic art, you know, composition, like, you know, it's just those kind of things are very hard to teach. A lot of YouTube university will teach you, you know, the technological stuff. But I have to tell you, the people that are te- teaching, they have good sense of aesthetic. So if you just, you know, follow those tutorials, you know, it's kind of like burnt in your brain that, all right, this is good, this is bad. You know, this this color correction, whatever, of skin looking too blue is not good uh it does you know looks uh dead so i don't know i i i feel like a lot of this is also acquired like knowledge uh you know when you work on stuff work with other people you know every day like you know you work with different dps and you learn like certain techniques you learn certain way to use natural light and you know i think it, it all happens so just be willing to soak up as much you know as you can and uh yeah, keep, keep those tutorials our gold goldmine. YouTube is the best.
2: Cool. Is there a software that you should learn first? Blender?
4: Blender, yeah, man. Like Blender, uh, SketchUp, like just get, get your feet wet, you know. Uh, they all have the same basics, to be really honest, like Cinema 4 d and Maya and stuff a little more advanced. And you'll get there eventually, but, you know, you need to n- feel comfortable within that space. And, uh, I mean, if you're now, if you're starting now, like, definitely get on to, like, Unreal Engine or Unity, you know. And uh, that that's really where everything is moving to. So, no more rendering. Everything's real time. Yeah. I,
1: I, I love oh. that you said SketchUp because that's the first time anyone has ever said that. And I find it to be <laughs> yeah. a little bit more approachable. Ah, uh, from an interface perspective, like like Blender is incredible, but it's just like you're constantly figuring out what the co- hey man, hot no hot keys are. Blender. And so, like, uh, if you're just if you're not yeah. looking to be a, a true VFX artist, but you just want to be conversant, you know, you just want to know how to like move around in 3D space and model something, and know what, you know when you're talking to an artist, like well, a little bit about what they're going through. Um, SketchUp can be pretty nice on that front.
4: Yeah. And now, like, even, like, in, like, the Oculus has this, like, modeling tool, oh, you know, cool. you're playing with, like, oh, you can yeah. model, like, I mean, that kind of stuff, were never there, like, when, you know, we were doing it. So I think now you have a lot access to, like, a lot more stuff, uh, you know, where you can express your creativity. So there's really no reason to... Uh not do it, you know? Just just keep playing. Just keep doing stuff. And uh sell it as NFT. People are buying whatever. <laughs> yeah. crap <they're> well, <laughs> well, keep yeah.
1: an eye out for all of my gray cubes on um <laughs> on the marketplace. Go try to make them rectangle. Yeah, we'll things, see. Though. We'll see. Um awesome guys. Well <laughs> Do you like cubes better? <laughs> <laughs> they're just so easy. Um, well, Vickle, this has been great, man. Uh, do you have a few more minutes to hang out and uh, endorse with us? Yeah, sure. Unpaid endorsement. So, uh, so my unpaid endorsement actually is a uh, is a recipe. I I just refer to it as the giant pancake, but uh, it's a bone appetit recipe for the giant no flip blueberry pancake is what it's technically called. So the the giant no flip blueberry pancake. Like I said, we just call it the giant pancake. And basically what it is, is like you use like a, a the biggest skillet you've got. You could use like a like a cast iron or like a, like a frying pan. And you just fill it with pancake batter. And then you put it, you have it on the uh, stovetop for a couple minutes. And then you put it in the oven and then you just flip it out once. And it's kind of like an upside down cake, but it's just a giant pancake. And it is delicious. Wait, when you say flip it at once, you mean in, like onto a plate? Onto a plate or in the? Onto oven? a plate. Yeah, we have we use a big serving butter. Okay. So you, there is a one. There's flip. technically one flip to to get to get it out, basically, and then you slice it up like a cake, basically, uh, and it's great for 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 brunches or like I'll freeze slices that we don't use and throw them in the toaster later. Uh, and, and it was how a thick pan- is this pancake? It's it's like a it's like a good two inches thick.
4: Yeah, it's like your skillet size, right? Like however deep yeah. your skillet or frying exactly. pan is. Like exactly. Is.
1: Yeah. So here here's the crucial detail is that when you're doing it on the stovetop, first you melt butter and oil into the into the skillet. And basically the, the oil raises the uh smoke point of the butter. So it gets real like crispy crunchy. It's and it's got like a little bit of cornmeal in the batter. So it's got like this just like great little like buttery latticey top that is just once you get it in like once you get the hang of it it's just perfection and it's just canola oil uh yeah yeah canola oil or whatever uh whatever neutral cooking oil you prefer i'm a safflower oil man myself but uh but the giant no flip pancake on bon appetit is one that we have uh it was a lifesaver during the like the the heat of the lockdown just like comforting Delicious. It lasts a couple mornings, so that's my endorsement. I'll check it out. I'm like the pancake man in my house. Like I, I make the pancakes. It is. It's a different deal. The the skills will will transfer, but it is um. There's yeah, There's a yeah. learning curve. There's a learning curve to it. Yeah. Let me know if you um. I have a couple pointers. Awesome. Okay, Vickle, what do you get?
4: So my uh, unpaid endorsement is actually the book Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. It's basically the inner workings of Pixar and how, you know, they worked as a studio when they were small and how they grew big. And, uh, you know, this, this all this talk that we've been talking about, like collaboration and, you know, things like that, like that, just that book really lays it thick and it's, it's a very good read uh, audio book or, you know, if you're reading whatever, I think it's definitely something people in this like industry should, you know, pay attention to.
1: Yeah. You are not the first person to endorse it. Yeah. I think yeah. more than you did once and maybe another, it's, oh, a, you it's a favorite among three yes. CG people for sure. And I think worth re resurfacing. That is for sure. I think it's it's but been also like, a year or two since we've talked about it. So that's great.
2: Totally unrelated to CG. Like it's to me, the inspiring part of that book is that it's about how it picks are. You're encouraged to fail, like fail often fail fast. So you get past the bad ideas and, start honing seeing what's working what's not working it's a very very like iterative cg type of mindset whereas like i think in commercials and narrative and all that it's like the it's all about confidence right you want a director that comes out and just knows exactly what they want to do and how they want to do it and they're experts and they have such great taste but at pixar it's like no let's let's do okay let's try that not not good great we know that that doesn't work. Now yeah. try the next thing. But they do have time and money on their side.
4: Well, but I think you can try those like little things that they have into your practice. You know, even when it comes to like commercial or filmmaking, like there's always like that little thing, like one. You know, definitely being open to criticism and being, you know, how they have this round table like every week and they talk about like everyone puts up their work and like just rip it apart. And and you just, the director has to stand up to that shit. Like, you know, you have to have the balls. I don't know if you can say that, but you have to have, you know, the courage the to fortitude. actually- fortitude.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. The, the courage to like stand up to, uh, you know, your peers and basically having them, you know, talk about your work, not necessarily in good light. And you know, actually take that criticism back and then do something about it or choose not to do something about it. It's your choice. But, you know, I think that's, that's really what happens, right? Like commercial, like you come up with an idea, like a treatment, you have the entire thing mapped out. Like you're like, all right, this is how this shit's going to be. It's going to be great. The agency wants to work with like, love your idea, Ron, like you are the best. Like this is fuck, love your vision, but yeah. we are going to change never it heard
2: all. never that before, but yeah, go on.
4: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you just have to sit and be like, all right, you know what, how do I sort of navigate this thing and really not take it too heart and don't be afraid to try new stuff. I think that's what I got out of it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, man. love
2: um, it. Uh, well, Kaplan, great. what you got, buddy? I'm going to give two quick ones. First one, just because you mentioned Photoshop, I learned this awesome Photoshop trick this week, which is if you are using the brush tool and you're brushing, you know, whatever your brush is, whether it's just like the standard default brush or like some complicated speckled brush or whatever that's pressure sensitive. If you hold down the tilde key tilde key on your keyboard and use the brush, it turns it into an eraser. So it's just a real quick way to erase in the same way that you're brushing, as opposed to going to an eraser, which is like its own brush. And sometimes it's not erasing, like you're drawing something really soft or speckled or something. And then you try to erase with this hard eraser and it's just, it kind of, takes you back farther away than if you were just just to invert your brush so it's a cool thing i never knew about um and then my other thing that i've been doing lately is uh per my wife's encouragement is i've gone to the doctor uh which is something that i kind of like just don't like going to the doctor but uh i went to like a general practitioner type person that gave me a physical and was like hey you should take these supplements and Dude, I was kind of getting these like migraines and she gave me this like magic medicine for them. And so it's kind of like been awesome. And then also I went to like the dermatologist. I was having like weird dry dry skin for like the past two years. I thought it was mask related, but it hasn't been. And she gave me this other like magical cream. And I'm like, what this whole for years I've been living with like headaches and dry skin. And I could have just gotten to the doctor and just fixed it all in like two weeks. And so, Hey, if you're not if you have an issue, maybe go to the doctor. I don't know. Go see your doctor. Hopefully, you have health insurance. That's the catch. But yeah, anyway, so those are my
1: endorsements. <laughs> Solid. Photoshop and yeah Those general are good, doc- Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a pretty eclectic mix on this. This is maybe the biggest spread from a giant pancake to to a great book to going doctor. to the doctor. Uh, uh, listen yeah, medicine, to man. one keyboard yeah. key. <laughs> That's right. The tilde. The tilde um, swinton. Possible pickle. <laughs> That's right uh dude this was so great thank you so much for talking to us um where can listeners learn more about attaboy studios and yourself do you tweet do you instagram what's the best way to keep track Uh, on on
4: instagram we're like very active on instagram
1: and and where should they find you on instagram what what should they add attaboy studios and A T T A B O Y. no it's just one a sorry it's at a t a b o
2: y studios great um okay cool well thank you so much um if you want to have any questions, if you want to, if you can't on your own figure out how to contact Vickle, feel free to email us. We're just shoot it pod at gmail.com. You'll find all the notes on this episode at just You can find us across all social media at just shoot it pod. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Leg, and on Instagram, I'm at O Kaplan. And I'm at
1: Mr. Matt Enlow across all social media. Uh, this episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Thank you, Sarah. Great work as always. Um, And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Additional ad music by Jambox.io. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.